The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Good afternoon and welcome to the other page radio. Oh boy, we got a show for you today. WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston, Boston's community radio station. My name is Hayward Fennell Sr. and I'm a veteran. And you know, folks, uh, I know a lot of people in this town and a lot of people know me and more people know me than I know them. But one of the people that I know and I'm very proud to know this is my guest here today. We got Professor Tony Menelik is here today from UMass Boston Department of Afri- African American Studies out there on the big campus out there in Dorchester. Welcome, welcome, Professor. How you thank, been? Thank, thank you, Brother Haywood. It's always a pleasure to uh, spend some time with you. Oh, my goodness gracious, man. And time was going to be what our listening audience deserve. But before we get into any kind of conversation... Let me just get these PSAs out of the way sure. so that we can talk. I'm Chris Jackamick. I serve in the United States Air Force and I've deployed three times. Being a veteran, it's interwoven into your DNA it is really the absence of the connection and the purpose that can really drive a lot of veterans to some uh, negative thoughts. For those who are in a suicidal crisis, the window of time to save somebody's life is very short. Our duty is to protect ourselves and protect our families. And one way you can do that is store your weapons safely. Store all your guns securely. Help stop suicide. Brought to you by N Family Fire and the Ad Council. Okay, I just want to follow up with that uh, quick uh, prevention measure to just say a little bit about uh, veterans in need of whatever. Here's a number for you, 857-204-5312. We are concerned about you. And we want you to be able to stand so that you can demand those of the services that have been overlooked by the powers that be. Uh, again, that number is 857-204-5312. Brother, brother, I'm so glad to hear you here. Brother, professor, I'm so glad that you're here today. Glad to be here. I, I, you know, folks, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of things that go on in the community, and it's muted because we don't have the voices of the voice that we need to be articulating some of the things that we complain about. And we have a voice here today that demands accountability from whoever s- steps to the plate and say they're in charge and aren't doing anything. One of the things that 
we have to be assured is that we have leadership that listens and discerns and comes back with some solution-driven strategies to change the paradigms that have been choking us for too long. And we got a strong man here today. Brother, tell us what's going on on campus out there where you're working at. Well, you know— where, of, Excuse me, or where they trying to work you? Yeah. Well, you know, let me, let me first say that uh, UMass Boston a campus uh, has a lot of potential. Um, and there's a lot of good people working there who want to help develop that potential. That's me. And unfortunately, you know, you have leadership that's there um, who aren't able to make that potential manifest in an authentic way. And so we have to go beyond the performative gestures uh, to engage in some real, real uh, transformative work. So there's a vacuum in the type of authentic and transformative leadership there. Um, and so, you know, uh, I'm in the Africana Studies Department. And, you know, for many, many, many years, in my view, the university has been negligent in terms of how it deals with the Africana Studies Department, which is a key uh, department. In fact, it's Africana studies are key departments throughout the world because in Africana studies, we get to deal with addressing the type of harm that's been done in the world. So when we ask the question is that where do we all come from? You know, Africana studies help us uh, to deal with that. It's a it's a it's a project. We, we call it a epistemological project, meaning is that, you know, is how we know what we know. And so when we deal with Africana studies, we got to go back to the source, as Emil Cabral said, you know, going back to the continent. But, you know, there are people today who who uh, don't assign value to the continent of Africa, to African people, to black people. And so UMass Boston has that opportunity in the Africana Studies Department, but it tries to deal with erasing our impact, our efforts and so forth, and not recognizing uh, you know, what we do, who we are, and supporting who we are and what we do. They say they do it, but we know what hot air is, right? Uh, so, uh, but there's a lot going on. They've been trying to deal with myself, remove me, remove Professor Kamara, Professor Keith Jones. And we're the only three full-time faculty members that's there. But, uh, you know, they're going to have to drag us out of there. Let me just uh, interrupt you, uh, Professor. And so that people will know a little bit more about me. I graduated from UMass Boston. Yeah, I'm a graduate of UMass Boston, and I graduated in 2010. It took me 28 years to do that, but mm -hmm. I did that. And I want to say that the Department of Africana Studies was the one of the few bright lights that I saw on that campus. You know, I'm going back a while, and mm -hmm. it, it's gotten brighter since you've been involved over there, you know, with the student body uh, trying to give them the information that they need and which to grow and flow from. You but, you know, know, you know uh, Heywood, you're, you're one of the examples um, because, you know, I don't know if people know your, your, your own history, which you can share, you know, with them. But the idea is that a person like yourself, uh, a military veteran, who've experienced hardships in the world, 
uh, to be able to go back to UMass and finish your degree and do the work you're doing. That's the point of the potential. And so mm-hmm. there are other Haywards out there who uh, who uh, you you, you uh, that who uh, UMass Boston could help explore. Uh, other possibilities that, to explore the type of transformation that we need, the type of uh, repair, the type of healing that that we need to uh, be dealing with. So, I mean, you should be on the front cover of all their their materials, showing this is what we are capable of doing, uh, and so forth. So that's an important story, uh, but mm-hmm. they don't tell those type of stories in an authentic way. Well, one of the things that I do, I still do, is I look at the divisions among the student body on campus today, when I go out there, I just don't go to the bookstore. You know, I'm sitting around and I watch because uh, I find a disjunctive attitude that keeps people from sounding and adding their voices to your department and making the demands that we need for the administration to understand that you know, we are the people that make the college go, mm-hmm. not them making the college go. It is the students that, and the professors that the students learn from. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't go to the business office unless we maybe got a check or a bill. You know, we don't talk to the vice chancellor or the chancellor unless uh, we see them someplace, you know, but we have got to understand, we got to understand that the voices that come out of the Department of Africana Studies is the voice that attracts the young people to go out into the community and do the work that needs to be done because we are a wounded people. Mm-hmm. This is true, and, and you're right. You know, the, the, the you know, the uh, young people are present and they are, they are our future. And, you know, that the university um, is, should be a center uh, that help them to develop uh, versus, um, you know, creating additional obstacles um, in, in their life. And so, and it is through staff, it is through, you know, the professors that interface. Programs with, that with you guys have, yeah. you know, annual programs, man, that embrace the different uh, Africano uh, uh, people, mm-hmm. you know, from the diaspora. Haitian, you know, Cape yeah, Verdean, bring them Dominican. all at different times to show them, man, who they are, man, and not to buy into a failing system. You know, because if you don't know who you are, you can't know where you're going to go. Precisely. You know, and if you're trying to blend yourself into a system that rejects your history and your culture values, you're in trouble. Exactly, exactly. But this is the point of Africana Studies. So it's not, and it's not just for people of the African, you know, cool, no. visibly African descent. It's for everything. See, Africana Studies raised the question about whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to get folks to understand uh, that you know, because you are white, don't make you right. No, it right? doesn't make and you right. And it's addressed the question of white supremacy uh, and so forth uh, because it's, you know, it's dealing with the question of having, this system will have black people believe they're inferior and have white people believe that they're superior. And black people aren't inferior and white people aren't superior. So now let's get on with the real education. Find the medium of it to, to exchange those thoughts. But this is the other page of radio. My name is Hable Fennell. Uh, we're here at WBCA LP 102. 2.9 FM Boston. Our guest 
today and certainly want to give him an open invitation to come back when he's available. Just let us know, Professor uh, Tony Menelik. He's here today. He's an author, but he's my friend, and he's a friend of the community. He's a friend of the students that come to him to learn uh, about themselves. See, when you say Africana studies, you, that's a global description of what's going on. Precisely. You know, when you say Africana studies, man, you're talking about not no Emancipation Proclamation. You're talking about people that traveled the world, traded, and was all over in what is called the Western Hemisphere before it became a hemisphere. You know, and those are the kind of things that strengthen you. But if you're going to have an administration uh, that espouses that this didn't happen, and we're not going to honor the people that are honoring our culture values, then you got a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that we've pushed at the Africana Studies Department is that uh, one of our courses, Introduction to Africana Studies, and a cluster of critical ethnic study courses should be mandatory for every student before they graduate. And that's actually essential, uh, right? Because then if, if, if not just black students, but if white students don't understand the origins of, of civilization, right. that's, a, that's a big problem. Right, it is a big problem. And one of the things that I just want to say now, you know, uh, they use that term global, 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 let me tell you something. Global is right over there in Orchard Park. <laughs> we okay? call, Brother Hayward, we call that a global. Yeah, the global. global and the local. Right, because <laughs> you got people from these other countries that don't think they need to know about our struggle but are benefiting from our struggle. Yes. They're separating themselves based on their not knowing who we are and what we did so that they could get what yeah. they are getting yeah. out. If, 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 just give me a minute here, Brother Haywood, because what you are raising um, is that when you look at the United States of America and you look at the divide that we're in now and around what the Supreme Court is doing around affirmative action, you know, abortion and so forth, is that the enslavement of African people in these United States, the struggle for freedom of African people in the United States has been also a struggle for democracy for all people right. in this country. Because you got to remember that white workers were indigenous servants and they were also poor and they had to serve the elite. And so the, the, the idea of us fighting for the 13th, the, the, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment to dealt with, you know, the question of uh, abolishing slavery, making Dred folks citizens equal, equal rights, that was for everybody. Yes, right? Yeah. Because the, the policy of public education was for everybody because they wasn't educating poor white people, right? No. And so w what we did was not just for ourselves, it was universal. And when Dr. King was fighting in the civil rights movement, he, he, he was engaged in a national democratic revolution. And that was not just for black people, that was for everybody. Right, right. So let me just add to that, because I think it's very important, you know, that we share these few thoughts to seed minds, man, based in fertilizing truth. You know, uh, I'm looking and, and, and I'm seeing uh, the Irish here in America, in Cromwell, and the Irish Rebellion, and the so-called uh, indentured slaves who were white people, you know, and uh, they got all split up. Women got left home, the men got sent to 
places like Montserrat, you know, in the islands and out there growing crops and stuff and dying and then uh, breeding, being bred with our women, man, to uh, make them physically adaptable to the heat and the conditions, you know. Uh, they don't talk about that, but that's that's what happened, man. That's, you know, and then later on they, they say that they were free, but they they poverty people, man. And when Boston, there's a history of how African Americans helped the Irish, helped them, gave them jobs, places to stay, you know. And now we have this barrier of the lack of knowledge that you and your department can provide if they listen. Let's see your narrative about white people understanding what this is that we are not dealing with. If you don't know, you don't know. But if you don't know, you need to ask somebody. Yeah. You know, and the department, meaning the chancellor and this administration, I'm going all the way to the me and the president, should be standing up with your department so that people can begin to understand the dynamics, man, that should not be in place right now if we're going to learn about how to be friends with each other. This is the Other Page Radio. My name is Abel Fennell. We'll be right back. People won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is killing people. It's a powerful opioid, often made illegally and commonly mixed with illicit drugs. It can even be pressed into counterfeit pills that resemble prescription medications. Just two milligrams, about the size of a few grains of sand, can potentially be lethal. This isn't an ad to scare you, but it is an ad to make you think twice. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. Let me just say again that this is the other page radio, and I just want to follow up on that ad about fentanyl because I've never experienced fentanyl, but let me tell you something. If you want to know what an attic is, you, you got time, uh, I'll talk to you about it because uh, I was a slave to that lifestyle and for the last 29, 28 years I've been able to liberate myself. You know, there are better ways to deal with your problems and your issues than become a slave to a, a drug or a substance, and that's including alcohol. And I might be able to make some suggestions to help you uh, remove yourself from living that lifestyle of diminishing ends. But again, we're so grateful to have my good brother and friend, one of my mentors, man, of many years, man. Professor Menelik is here today, and we're talking about growing and showing, and people that are in the way denying that uh, we're not who we say we are. You know, Brother Haywood, you know, you raised this question in terms of the, the Irish, and it's important uh, to know uh, that uh, the, how the Irish had been treated, you know. Um, and at one point, uh, that they had offered certificate of whiteness for the Irish, right, <laughs> that people could purchase because they saw them the same way as they saw black people. Right. right. Um, and so it, that's an important, you know, understanding. And so 
what has changed? And this is the question that I raised earlier. It's the question of whiteness. And that we, because we talk about, you know, blackness, black people, but, but what we're talking about is whiteness. Because when you talk about white supremacy, you talk about the structure of the society. That's the formulation. That's what it's based on. And we have to deconstruct that. We have to change that, you know, to show uh, that, you know, uh, uh, when we talk about black inferiority and white superiority, that black people ain't inferior and white, white people show, show ain't superior. And so that we can move on and be human beings, right, uh, in terms of what what does that mean? Uh, you know, and so we have to move forward in terms of that that particular direct that direction in terms of the kind of consciousness all of us need. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is where uh, education is important because education should be about liberation. And you just talked about, you know, people who have addiction problems to liberate themselves so that, you know, uh, you know, who you are, where you come from. You're not dealing with these psychological issues, thinking you less than somebody else or thinking that you better than somebody else, because both of them are diseases, in a right. sense. Okay, I want to also, Professor, I just want to remind people, <laughs> my name is Havel Fennell, and I'm a, I'm a writer, you know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I can say that, right? I'm a writer, right? So I was looking at, uh, I was looking, Professor, at the, uh, the verdicts that were already predetermined, if you understand that the Supreme Court is really not a, a Supreme Court, it's more an e extreme court, <laughs> you know, because of the decisions that they render are consistent with the Dred Scott decision, which says that, you know, the Constitution was not written to protect us. And the Supreme Court uh, has separate but equal decision the Warren Court, you know, later on, uh, you know, they challenged that and they changed that. Now we find ourselves with these controversial decisions made by this court that called themselves supreme. You got to understand the the, the terminology. Uh, the court, I guess it's adjectives. Mm -hmm. Going back to when I was in school, you know, uh, fat was F A T, not F H A T. Mm -hmm. You know, so. We sometimes we don't understand the, the language, uh, and we shouldn't get fooled by the language. We should be focusing on the actions of the language. Mm -hmm. You see, because uh, how would you think? Why would you think? Looking at the political ramifications that's going on across this country that a Supreme Court would render anything similar to fairness. Well, Brother Haywood, you know, I, I like your, uh, how you could pose that, the Supreme Court to the extreme court, because, you know, you're a poet and you know it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and show it. <laughs> but this is, this, is, this, is, this is truth that you, you are speaking, um, that what is doing it is called, I would call it erasure. You know, mm -hmm. that they're trying to erase us. They're trying to erase oh. us uh, again, and, and and you're looking at 50 years of 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 what we could be considered a little progress that Black people have been engaged in struggling, you know, to uh, create uh, uh, a uh, some type of uh, pl uh, equal platform. Yes, yes. You know, and so what are you doing? Is you're wiping away uh, th th those years of progress and struggle. So to tell the truth, we're back to the Civil War. We're back to the same point. Right. And, and, and the only thing is that it hasn't gotten as intense as it is it can get. 
Right. It's going to get a little hotter, folks. Exactly. You're exactly. talking about climate change. We're not talking about climate change. We're talking about people change. That's right. And and when you think about what's going on in the courts today, you know, with uh, uh, with Donald Trump, with people, you know, from the January 6th piece, with some of his mm-hmm. other minions who are being deposed uh, right mm-hmm. now, this, this is the type of thing— uh, that is impeding uh, uh, progress, but it's people who are trying to position themselves in power to do what it is they want to do and erase us and marginalize us. So, but this is where this is the time for Black people to stand up, right, um, and begin to take a stance because our very lives are at stake. And if you let these clowns back in the office, we're going to be in real trouble. And I'm not, you know, this is not a, you know, to, to, to give preference to the Democrats or the Republicans. We got to keep the Democrats accountable as well as the Republicans accountable. But we have to be organized. Organized. And we have to resist. We got to resist. Because otherwise they're coming, for, they, they're trying to put that big knee on all of our Nobody's coming to save us. But us. We must save ourselves. That's right. And Malcolm X said, I always quote this. Things will only get better when we make them better. Say it again, please. Things will only get better when we make them better. So we got to make some sacrifices, you know, and be ready to resist. I like that. So let me say, let me see how I'm going to say. Things will only get better. They're only going to get better when we will get better. When we make them better. Thank you. This is the other page radio. I want to just... Change up something right quick here, Professor, and let everybody know about the General Edward O. Gordine Statue Project Committee and its invitation to the public for the unveiling of the General Edward O. Gordine Statue in the General Edward O. Gordine African American Veterans Memorial Park directly across the street from Boston Police Station 2 on the corner of Washington and Dudley Street, right near the Bank of America. Folks, on August the 1st, write this down now, because we want you to be there. On August the 1st, at 1 p.m., this program will honor a man that was a black man of strength and conviction who rose to the rank of general in the National Massachusetts National Guard, but he served his country, and we also are commemorating a history of sacrifice, of honor, of service to maintain a freedom that we still do not have as a people. And I am grateful to say that I am the chairman of the African American Committee to Veterans and Friends to correct myself. And I'm going to be there, and I'm going to say a few words, but let me tell you something. Let me just, I, I I want you to be real clear on what I'm about to say. I am going to tell the truth about our history it's not a mystery until the day I die. I'm going to advocate for veterans, as I've been doing, even when I was incarcerated, I was advocating for veterans. 
And now that I understand the power of the truth and that I don't have to lie anymore, you're in trouble. That's right. Because everything that I say is based on truth, and we served this country, and we built this country. They didn't even want to give us the uniforms to wear. And you go back and you look at World War I and you look at the 369th Infantry Regiment, also known as the Hellfighters from Harlem, who went into France during World War I because they didn't want, meaning the United States government, military people did not want to fight with them. And they ended up saving France and becoming known as the Men of Bronze. They didn't want to give our people guns. They didn't want to give our people uniforms. They didn't even want to pay us. That's how a lot of them during the American Revolution fought with the British and ended up in Nova Scotia, where there's a large black population, where Harriet Tubman was trying to get some of those people to Nova Scotia via the Underground Railroad because they was getting more action and protection there than they were here in America. We're still fighting for our freedom, folks. I just want to let you know that. Our guest today, our guest today is my friend, my mentor, Professor Menelik. Professor, you can go ahead and say something if you want to. I'm listening. Yeah, no, no, that's a very important point, to know the role that black people have played um, historically, you know. But we have a, it's a, it's, it's, the, the question is that as long as it's been, uh, you know, are, are, is those people in power ready to share uh, power. And the truth is, a lot of times that they don't. And so we got to look at what kind of world do we want? You know, a good friend of mine, uh, Robin Kelly, has a book. It's, it's actually it's the 20th anniversary of his book called Freedom Dreams. You know, called Black, Freedom, what? Freedom Dreams, Black Radical Imaginations. And it's what is our imagination of what freedom would, would look like? You know, you know, and I have to bring it up because, you know, you, you know, I travel to Cuba often uh, because, you know, it's a, it's a country uh, whose intent um, is around making sure uh, that uh, they have a democratic society, a society where the resources are used for everybody, not for private property and individuals, for everybody, education, uh, um, 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 hospitals, medicine, you know. And so when we, you know, I was driving by a Melinda a, 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 a Mass and Cass, and I saw something, Haywood, uh, I didn't see when I was growing up in Harlem. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody standing up in broad daylight shooting a needle in their arm when the police car with the lights was on right down the block. I'm saying this is shameful. You don't see that in places like Cuba, right? They got Cuba's having a hard time right now because of the U- U.S. blockade. Mm-hmm. Right. But despite that, they still try to maintain their humanity and their decency for the people. And so it is shameful on the city of Boston, the state of Massachusetts, the United States of America, that you can actually have that happening. So, you know, there's a lot of work, but we have to say, what is our imagination of the type of world that we want? And how do we use the resources to make it happen? I just want to reiterate that, brother, because uh, that's so important to to look at what you think your freedom should be like. And if you got eyes, you got 2020, and you can see what's going on today, and you don't want to change that, then you don't want to be around me. You know, you got to move on because we are Action Jackson. We're doing some stuff, man. 
that we have to do, that we must do. As we said earlier, man, what Malcolm said and what we say, nobody's coming to save us. We must save ourselves. That's man. right. We must have our own truths, man. We cannot believe the things that people are trying to pipe into our minds that we are inferior, man. We, we know we are superior. What they have not done is they have not shared the resources. They have not made our education an education other than miseducation. Anytime that you would try to deny the accomplishment of a people that despite the oppressiveness of the way that you treated us, we still rise. That's man. right. That's you know, right. so there's a lot for you to understand about yourselves, and that's why we must get behind the Africana Studies Department, whether we are on campus or not. That's right. Whether we are on campus or not, we must let folks know that we believe what they're doing is benefiting and has benefited and will benefit when they stop playing over there in that at chancellor's office. Mm -hmm. And I'm going on up to the president's office, too. Yeah, no, we, you know, people need to call them, keep them accountable, ask them what's going on. Remember, this is a public institution. That's a public institution, and we need to get that number. If you have a number that you can give us, Professor, give it to us, and we'll put it on here right now. Okay, well, I have to pull it up. Pull it up. <laughs> pull it up. Let me go right to a quick commercial, let people know about the Oscar Michelle Family Theater Program Company. We'll be performing... We'll be performing 28 years of performing, and we will feature our major collaborator stages when we go to the Strand Theater on October the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th. Three days we are going to perform the Miss Marion Anderson and Friends Project, a Philadelphia experience revised and written, directed by Monica Anderson Spencer. The music is there, the genre of the music. We are going to celebrate this lady's triumph over adversity when they told her that she could not sing before an integrated audience at Constitution Hall in Philadelphia, and she ended up putting together a strategy with friends and changed the direction and had us thinking that we together can overcome that's what they're doing at the Africana Student Studies Department, teaching them the truth about their history. And, you know, uh, Haywood, you know, people who uh, want to call, um, you know, President Marty Meehan, who is the head of all of the universities, um, you know, the five uh, uh, universities in, in, in Massachusetts, um, he's president of that. They can call him at 617-287-7050. That's 617-287-7050. And they can email him at umasspresident at umassp.edu. That's umasspresident at umassp.edu. You know, uh, they have to stop... Uh, you know, mistreating perpetrating uh, professors like myself, Tony Minnelik Vandermeer, and Dr. Jimadari Kamara, and Dr. Keith Jones. You know, and so because, you know, we have to begin to not be in a hostile environment, you know, to be able to help nurture uh, young people, you know, to help mentor 
young people because when they come through those halls, and we want them to go back into their community to provide the kind of leadership that's necessary for us to develop our community. And you know what? I'm just I was just thinking this morning, you know, about uh, fresh air. You know, fresh air. We take fresh air for granted, right? But if you ever been in one of them buildings like I've been in when I used to use an apartment, it's all dingy and dark and the windows are down, you know, and you caught up in there with a bunch of people, man, and everybody's sweating and stinking and not thinking that they could have a better life if they changed how they were thinking and look for a spiritual connection and not just suffer like they trying to make us suffer. And then somebody comes and breaks a window and the funk and the stink starts to ease out and the sweating starts to stop because you're feeling like you're almost there. Mm. Think about that stink that's being removed from you when the professors are able to do the work that they said that they were going to do when they went and got their education. I'm talking about Menelik, I'm talking about Jones, I'm talking about Jim Adari and the people that before them that tried to lay some tracks down so that our college community would be what we wanted it to be. Listen, now let me just say something to you because Bernie Sneed was out there. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sneed brought the people from Columbia Point, yep. all right, to understand that that college, that that university that's out there now before all those buildings was for us too. Did you just talk about gentrification? There you go. You know, you know, it, but it's interesting, uh, Brother Haywood, just the description that you you gave to, 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 to highlight the point of fresh air. See, a lot of people don't understand that. So you went somewhere that people have no imagination, and, and hopefully they will never have to experience that, right? right? Um, and so, but the point is the fact that someone like you who could have experienced that and come out for some fresh air is the point. And so, you, you know, using as a metaphor, you UMass need to be a, uh, be, be a place of fresh air. They need to break them windows, man. Yeah, there we go. They need to break those windows, man, because I'm going to tell you something. I've been on that campus, man, and let me tell you something, man. I have never seen professors, man, with their nose up in the air as, as much as I have over there, you know, in that dark building, in that dark building where y'all where y'all at, all right, over there, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the Africana Studies Department. I've seen that building, yes. you know, and I've seen the brighter part of the school, mm-hmm. you know, and I want our kids to be in the brighter part and getting a brighter education. And what's wrong with that? That's right. Well, you know, it's interesting, Haywood, because, you know, this 
spite of what you say about folks with their nose up, but the truth of the matter is that you are a professor. The students who, who, who come from the community, their mothers and fathers are professors because they have a lot to profess, you know, in terms of their own experience. And it's very important to understand that the universities, in my view, is not the center of knowledge. It is our communities. Uh -oh. And then when you think about it, you know, when grandma and grandpa die, you know what folks do? They throw away their stuff. Those are archives that are so important uh, in terms of things that happen, just even keepsakes and all kinds of stuff, documents, photos, pictures, letters, and so forth. And so when folks do this, this type of research, they're looking for those kind of documents to be able to tell a story. And so if people would just get a mic, use their own smartphones or dumb phones and, and, and interview their parents, their grandparents, and write their stories, know who, what their experiences are. Because in some ways you think, uh, you know, uh, the grass on the, on the side is greener, you know? And so but we have to realize that our communities are center of knowledge. That doesn't take away the university. The university helps us put that in a different um, uh, 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 process, you know, in terms of our own understanding and learning as well as unlearning. So the other thing that I wanted to say to our listening audience, because this is the other page radio, my name is Haywood Finnell's program is brought to you by Triad Veterans League, uh, supported by uh, BNN uh, Neighborhood Media neighborhood network. These people are my friends and they have made this space available so that we can talk about issues that include veterans' concerns. And uh, one of the things that I want you to know that the August the 1st at 10 uh, at 1 p.m. event uh, is open to the public, but it is to let everybody know that it's not about the statue. It is about understanding that our history cannot be replaced, that you got to tell the truth about it. The other thing is that we're tired of being discriminated against and apathy and disparities, and we've researched and we have evidence of people in Jamaica Plain VA healthcare system not being sensitive to cultural values and cultural appreciation and not hiring anybody they can deal with our stresses and our trauma and our PTSDs that are generated because of the stress of discrimination, the oppressive way which you deny us. And you know what I'm talking about because you've been doing it for generations. And it's time to take that coat off because we're tired of thinking. We're now thinking. And this program, The Other Page Radio, it's here to let people know that we can't breathe again, but we got to do it together. That's right. Do not let the fact that this professor is here today talking to the community just about the schools because he's in the community. He does work in the community. He does work and been doing work, and we need to support him now. You, you know, Brother Haywood, uh, when you talk about particularly vets, I, I have to go back and think of my own brother who was a Vietnam vet um, and other uh, young brothers at the time who went to Vietnam and who came back addicted, who came back burying their, their, their family who, was, who, who died of heroin overdose or addictions and so forth, right? And I remember, you know, my brother... Uh, telling me, you know, how they were bringing drugs back from Vietnam 
you know, and so forth. And he had to actually come back from Vietnam to bury his own brother, mm. you know. And so uh, the point is, is that we also have to ask this question. And Dr. King said, you know, he said, I'm not going to study war no more. You know, why do we have war? Right. Mm. What is the purpose of, of, of war? Why, why are we engaged? And this is another question that we have to address because, you know, uh, it is it is put the world in turmoil. It's pitted folk against folks. It's about power. Dominance It's about greed. And that we Not have to, need greed. There you go. And we have to we have to think about that. But we know and, you know, directly, you know, uh, the harm uh, that has been done uh, to these young men who go to sacrifice their life. You know, in in this, uh, you know, for this country, and we and you and we have to ask for what? Oh, I'm I'm so glad you said that, because you know, I'm so into this conversation, brother Mendel. I forgot, but just let me get this point in. I look at the television, you know. I look at the TV, and I see the news, and I see the people talking about NATO. National Atlantic Treaty Organization, I think that's the acronym, uh, NATO. And they are admitting Sweden and Finland and Turkey's going to get some airplanes uh, for going along with the program. And uh, the president of Ukraine is all upset because uh, his country was not going to be admitted to NATO, which is a fighting organization. And they're scared of retributions from Russia that there's going to be a big war if they do this. What about the war of apathy, unaccountability that's been waged against the African-American veteran across the United States of America? You will take billions of dollars and buy war materials, but you want spend billions of dollars for healing material. That's right. What are you going to tell us now? You see people killing each other, and you see people that have killed each other in the guise of democracy and those that came home, like the brother was saying, with the fish look like dead fish in the fish market on ice. Mm. They are afraid to talk about the horrors of what they went through and try to medicate themselves. Mm -hmm. For those that were not in combat but faced discrimination and fought the white guys that were stationed over there and they came back all messed up, full of hate, what are we going to do about their trauma why can't we provide resources for them as we would provide for others to kill each other mm -hmm. in another country? Mm -hmm. When are we going to wake up and don't smell the coffee, drink the coffee, because we are not seeing what needs to be seen? That's heavy, brother. You know, and, you know, we have to think about that, how they use these young men. And young, women. And women, black, white, Asian, whatever, you know, to go and be sacrificial pawns mm, for mm, some private mm. folks to make a lot of money. Yes, indeed. Right. And that's exactly and, what they're doing. And we got and we got to call it what it is. It's, it's called capitalism. Right. And they and they say, OK, uh, uh, OK, OK, Turkey, 
we want to get you, you want to get the airplanes, just, just, just sign and say that these people here, Finland and Sweden, and Sweden have some oppressive human rights stuff yeah. over there. Yeah. All right? They, they, look, come on now. Let's act like we don't, we, you're plundering, you're, you're plundering in Africa, you're stealing the gold. Mm-hmm. It's, it's on record now. And the natural resources. There you go. You know, so they're making uh, chips and radios and all kinds of stuff, you yeah. know. Uh, but see, we, but this is the point. You know, one of the one of the the uh, major sacrifice of war is truth, hmm. right? And and so we also have to have an analysis uh, that when we look at some of these universities, they're part of the colonial project. So it's oh. about to continue to colonize no people question. as opposed to liberate people. But this yeah. is where we have to become aware and see that education has to be about liberation. Well, Franz Fernand says that. You know, uh, in his book, The Wretched of the Earth, I believe it was, he wrote, he talked about the Comprados. Yep. He talked about the Comprados, yeah. folks. You know, you got to add that to your vocabulary. Comprados yeah. is not a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> or a music group. <laughs> no. It's, it's a state of mind. It's but, a state of mind. But, you, but you're raising, Brother Haywood, question of values. Yes. You know, what are our values? Is it, is it, is it, uh, 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 do we value people or we value things? And Dr. Mm-hmm. King raised this, is that we want to be a people-oriented society versus a thing-oriented society. And right now it's about things, uh, you know, that the society is dealing with because if it was about people. We wouldn't have mass, mass and cast right no, now, we right? We that. wouldn't have the, the type of shootings that's going on in our communities and so forth, right? That we would have programs that help these young people recognize who they are, mm-hmm. uh, that they could be a benefit versus a liability. Yeah, you, you don't have to be a slave to a thought that's going to end up putting you in jail. That's right. Because uh, our schools, now a lot of our schools are just in, uh, like incubators for criminal thought, you know, that manifests in hate uh, and other kind of violent stuff and sending our young men uh, to prison you know, giving them quarries that are sad stories. And, you know, we just got to understand that we are a wounded people. That's right. You know, a, that's a, 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 a wounded nation. Right. That's a what wounded, I meant. A wounded yeah. world. A wounded world. I mean, you know, you know. And, and a wounded universe. Because now you're going into climate. You know, you know, it's interesting because, you know, that climate issues have existed for the longest time. Yeah. Right. In fact, you know, part of the enslavement of African people was attributed to climate change. Mm-hmm. Because what happened is that it shrinked the resources. You had people going into other places with other people, and they were competing for the same resources. Right. Right. But then, you know, I'm going to tell you something, brother. I mean, I don't know what I'm, I'm telling you, but, you know, I want my our viewing, our listening audience to understand uh, the natural process that was going on when we had these fires that came up, you know, and uh, they would go out and they would clear, you know, for vegetation to regrow there and the animals could live there, Okay. And now we have these fires that, because of the toxics that's in their environment, that are in the atmosphere, the the fire goes on longer and stronger than it did during the time when we had these natural fires to balance things out. You know, so it's not about climate change. It's about 
people change and understanding need as opposed to greed, like you were saying, and that a lot of the things that exasperate you on a daily basis affects how you live, how you eat, what do you treat your body with cigarettes, drugs, all of those things that places the stresses on the organs in your body, and you end up here. Yeah. Values. Yeah. Values. Again, you're back to the question of values. Yeah. What is it that we value? You got to understand. And saying so, you and you're going. You see, you you and you 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 said it earlier about this spiritual. You're going to a whole another spiritual space that we aren't dealing with. See, the earth apparently is angry because the earth is going to be here when we go. Right. You, you understand climate, this or that or another. Earth is still going to be here. We mm-hmm. we be going. But the issue is that the changes that we need to make. Right. Because if you think about it, we and nature is one. And so if we don't have that spiritual understanding is that when we do things to, to nature, we do it to ourselves. Right. And then the other thing I wanted to say uh, to my to you and to our listening audience, you know, I think one of the reasons why I, I when I came home from the military, you know, I couldn't find any kind of answers at all about I thought I could change the world, and I started using drugs, and I really, I really got caught up in the, uh, trying to make the world something that it, it couldn't be, and I couldn't be that, and so I got a rude awakening, and then I, that was 28, 29 years ago, that I didn't have to live like that. I didn't have to internalize all the wrongs in the world and figure that I could straighten them out by myself. You know, we need each other. That's right. There is no way that we can sit around and let a college a chancellor or a college president not heed, man, what the people are crying for. We're crying to be free to be able to educate ourselves using our own history, and we need the same resources of denial that you use to replenish the way we think. You, you know... And I'm glad that you 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 are bringing that up. Uh, I had a good friend. I was talking to a friend uh, in Germany uh, yesterday. Her her father was from Sudan. Her mother was German, and she asked. She she says, Milik, how how do you how do you maintain hope?" <laughs> huh. And I had to had to had to go back right, and I thought about it, and you know, I said, you know, I've discovered recently that on my father's side, my great-great-great-great-grandmother was born in 1750. Her name was Diana. She was enslaved. Uh, and then on my um, grandmother's uh, side, uh, um, Simaka was in the 1800s, and she was enslaved. She was Native American in, in Suriname in South America. Then I went back on my mother's side and went back to 1820 um, uh, to... Uh, you know, uh, Binky Gardner, who was enslaved. Mm. And I told her, I says, you know, that I'm their dreams. And so, and they had hope. And so that uh, we have to understand what they went through. And now that what we're going through, things was way, they were enslaved physically. You know, and so where we are now is that People fought for us to get the little resources that we got. So we have no choice, 
Right. But to resist, because we have to think about the next generations. We have to think what's going to happen to our folks 100 years from now. Exactly. And that we, we, we have to let folk know there ain't nobody less than us or better than us. And if they get in our way, they better move if they think they're going to push us away. The point of saturation, man, uh, stopped, man, uh, some time ago in your lineage, as it did in mine. You know, I can't go back far. I can go back maybe... Three generations, you know, my great-grandmother, you know, uh, grandmother, mothers, yeah, about three. So I'm the fourth generation. But I stress uh, to my children and my grandchildren who I am, you know, I'm not just anybody, I'm somebody. That's right. And that I, was, I was blessed, man, because people came into my life like you, Akram, and so many others, man. My my Madrina, man, Ima Sanchez. No longer with us, Baba in Atlanta, you know, to find a spiritual healing man that put me on track, man, to stop bleeding and believing in the in the nightmare, man, and find a dream. You know, uh, I, I, I go home to my house a lot, man, and I don't come out. I write and I don't get caught up with Donald Rumps because I've taken the T away from his last name and just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, do it like that, man. Or you because, could say Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't allow my mind to to drift, you know, uh, 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 because what I say is important, man. I'm not here, and if you recall, there was a time when we sat down and Baba said to you and to me that a lot of people would listen to what I had to say. Man. That's right. So, uh, you know, we're getting down now to getting ready to thank the folks for being a part of today's show. And I want to thank you again for coming in and extending an open invitation to you when you want to come back on, man, and continue to encourage you and uh, Keith and Tim Adari and all the rest of the people that are part of what you're doing, man that we will win in the end. It will belong to us because the truth is ours, man. We're not perpetrating. We're not trying to be something that we're not. I have a mission, man. And my mission was to stop getting high and getting by and to begin to use that which I have been loaned, which is my talents, man. And and you're one of our heroes because you did that. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing and Give my love to all of the family, your family, my family, our community, man. We got work to do. And thank you again, everybody, for being our guest on the Other Page Radio. We'll see you, God willing, next week. Be cool. Thank you, brother. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.